well We shook what our mamas gave us Till we couldn't shake no more We got down on our knees When cancer knocked at our door We got kicked in the ass We gave lots of sass But when it rains it falls Into this half full glass Oh, thanks cancer Thanks cancer Thanks cancer Victories in the dark you're listening to Thanks Cancer. I'm Mimi Hall. I'm Leanna House. We're two cancer friends. We are not doctors. No, and we're not shrinks. We're not nurses or anything like it. And because of that, we are going to use some appropriately obscene language. Let's just call it salty. Anyway, we hope you'll enjoy it. This is the podcast we wish we had when we were dealing with our treatment. So how are you doing? memes so you know let's just talk about the theme of our program oh okay because that's how you're doing tom doing cancer's hard okay um cancer is hard this episode came about because over the holiday break yep i stayed with my sister and i broke down crying a little bit and i said to her i've had a really hard year cancer is really hard as i'm like crying to her and she laughs at me and she says, Leanna, you always seem so surprised. Like, of course cancer's hard. Like, why are you so surprised every time? And I'm like, I am surprised every time. Mm-hmm. Like, this shouldn't this shouldn't be so hard, right? That's what I, I've been feeling too. Like, and I just think that, well, the reason we said we want to do this podcast is because we've been talking about how cancer is a really awesome inflection point for your life and mm-hmm. you can change things and you how can to make things fun. Here are some, some hacks, etc. But in the end, it's like you have to swim five times, ten times as hard as you've ever had to swim before yeah. at your lowest point of exhaustion. You do have to try to stay positive and it can come off a little disconnected from what's going on internally because internally the reason that you're having to try to evoke so much positivity is because some really negative stuff is happening right you don't want to feed into it you don't want to promote it you certainly don't want to add to it um but you don't want to ignore it either right so i think it is really important when we were talking on the phone we decided yeah let's let's talk about the fact that this is hard it comes in cancer diagnosis comes into your life and the treatment comes into your life and it literally just kind of destroys all of these things at once everything things that would normally take about 10 years to happen in a normal person's life is suddenly compressed into this two-year sort of massive destruction well and my sister's metaphor is that i'm standing in like a school gymnasium and i exploded everywhere and all the pieces of me are still there, but I'm, like, exploded and have to, like, find all the pieces of me again. Right. Which is a violent metaphor, uh, but pretty pretty apt. You're exploded. Your life's exploded. It's like a slow motion <laughs> act of violence or explosion because you yeah. do. You literally, like, it all happens, but it happens really slow. And that's part of the frustration, too. So for me, I've had some really dark times because... I am trying to now get my career back together again, and I'm trying to do it with consciousness and I'm um, thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness, and of course, you know, everyone wants me to get back to work, but at the same time, not find a job that's too hard that's going to cause a recurrence because mm-hmm. of all of this stress. 
which is interesting when you live in a place like Boston, like we do, and the mortgage has stayed the same. And in fact, it's going up. (laughs) So it's just one of these, these conflict points. And one of the things I've been dealing with is like, so there's, there's when you're going through treatment, you get offered a lot of support during treatment. It's a very sexy time for, mm-hmm. for people, you know, um, not, not to be cynical because you need those people and you need the support. Um, you get a lot of casseroles, you get a lot of gift cards to Whole Foods, you get a lot of stuff that's going on, um, support, a lot of visitors, a lot of people who are calling you. And in this time, which is possibly the darkest, which is, you know, post-treatment, mm-hmm. no evidence of disease, but, you know, you don't have a job. The relationship you were in perhaps before, after, during your, just over, I had a relationship explode in the middle of my treatment. You know, you've got to, like, try to rebuild your life, and you have fewer resources than ever. And yeah. you kind of feel like shit physically, too. Yes, yes. There's, and, you, and here's another, you can't look like shit physically, too. Yeah. Because everyone's waiting for you to die any minute. No, it's true. And it's hard to deal with professional stuff because... For a lot of what I've done professionally, after cancer treatment, it feels like, why does this even matter? Why am I even going to work? Other than you need insurance, because I need to pay for my cancer treatment. But that's why I got a job at the cancer center, because what I'm doing really does matter, even amongst my, this is all meaningless. And that's that's been really helpful to me to have meaning when I can't find that meaning after cancer treatment. Hmm. You know? Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, and the insurance is no joke, too. Um, It suddenly puts you in this whole new bracket of needing care. And I just signed Uh up for the Affordable Health Care Act. It's not Uh that affordable at $800 a a month. Oh my good lord. That's that's dental and basic health insurance with a thousand dollars deductible in the state of Massachusetts. So I would really like to start my own business. I think that would be really meaningful. I think I've got an awesome background for it. I would really like to do it. But you know, um I gotta be cautious mm-hmm. because eight hundred dollars a month is a high burn rate just uh-huh. for myself. And it just, you know, and also I'm not fully in the clear yet statistically with cancer, all of that. So, you know, it's just this sort of destroyer of dreams moment where you're like, oh, God, I've got limitations. And like you were just saying, I don't know if those limitations are always a bad thing, though, because maybe it just gets you into that sort of workaday life that you need to be in to play the game correctly. Right. But I think that is one of the cancer's hard moments that I've had where it's like, oh, OK, I used to have all these options in front of me. And now that's just been truncated. Yeah. You know, I joked with my boss in my last surgery. I was like, maybe I just won't come back. She's like, I know you'll come back because you need the insurance. And I'm like, and I laughed. And then I'm like, that is so dark. (laughs) Because, yes, I will be back because I do need the insurance. Bills, bills are hard. Bills have been a big thing because I don't, I make enough money that I don't qualify for a lot of the help financial help which is fine like I am grateful that I make enough money that I don't qualify for a lot of this but cancer costs a lot even when you have killer insurance there's a lot of myths before you get sick about what you can write off on your taxes oh yeah and the kind of support that you get from the government and from your employer that are not true 
I mean, they're just not. I mean, people think that your job gets held for you indefinitely by any employer. Not true. It's just up to your employer to be nice to you if they want to do that. Yeah. You get three months, and good luck with treating anything. An ingrown toenail in three months. I mean, that's really uh-huh. not enough for cancer. Um, and the, the I remember thinking, yeah, I'd be able to write a lot of stuff on taxes. You really can't. You, it's like a $7,000 cap on that or something, which is a lot of care. You know, but it's it's been very interesting to see the lack of network and support that there is for, a, you know, sort of middle class, upper middle class level type person. Well, and just navigating the insurance system is difficult because who pays for what and when you hit your out-of-pocket maximum and what that means and how hospitals bill you and when you should pay your bills like it's i am maybe not a very good adult anyway i have everything on automatic bill pay so like having to really think about my bills all the time that's been that's been hard well another thing that we both have talked about is this sort of attention deficit disorder it's not Mm. i don't even want to call it attention deficit disorder because i feel like it's almost it's different, but I, everyone who I talk to who's gone through cancer treatment seems to have this. Yeah. It's an overwhelm feeling. Uh-huh. Well, and the way that I describe it to people is you're on autopilot so much of your day. You're in the relationships you're in. You have the coworkers, the friends that you have. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you make breakfast. But when you have cancer, it's like you lose your autopilot. So every single decision is like a decision like when i open my eyes in the morning it's not like oh get up it's like i should really get up what time is it okay what do i have to do today like it's a huge struggle to get up or making breakfast is like a huge struggle because i have to think about okay well what do i have what do i want to make how does this affect my health like all of these things are decisions that i have to make very in a very like protracted way in a conscious way yeah and that is exhausting but i haven't gotten back to like autopilot again yeah i think and i think that's part of the treatment that we go through right now currently um especially the really intense chemotherapies because it kills everything in your body and your brain actually stops receive it stops growing new brain cells the whole time you're in intensive treatment with something like taxol or ac therapy so Brain cells die, but new ones don't grow during that time. And so I think that's going to change the way your brain is going to rewire. And then I think also on a molecular, cellular level, we know that we turn all of that stuff over super rapidly with those mm-hmm. therapies and then regrow. And so I think that's exactly the feeling that I have too. It's like my autopilot's gone. I sometimes just wake up in my house. And I feel like I'm in someone else's house. I, I feel like a replicant. I mean, that's literally how I feel. Yeah. I feel like I've woken up in someone else's highly complex 46-year-old life. <laughs> and, and you I have no idea what well, to no, do Well, no, I mean, it. I'm surprised, actually, sometimes that I do know how to do it. Yeah. I mean, I've been very surprised when I have. I mean, I've actually gotten back to work as a consultant, and I find myself leading meetings and, and, and actually turning things around and doing complex event planning. And I do feel that moment, like in the Matrix, where it's like, oh, I know jujitsu. How the hell do I know how to do this? But I do. And that's actually been quite good as I get back to looking at for sort of my permanent next step with my career is that 
actually things are moving a lot more fluidly than they used to in some okay. ways, okay, in many ways. But it's a whole new, things have just shifted. It's, it's I would call it kaleidoscopic. So this is shame, same shapes and forms are there, but they've just shifted right. somehow. And by the way, what I've been frustrated with is that I've tried to find uh, someone to talk to about this, a therapist to talk to about this, a psychiatrist to talk to about this, because I think it's interesting. And I, mm-hmm. But I think there's... The feeling like a replicant? Well, the feeling, this just this feeling, this interesting subtle shifts post-treatment. And I have not had any luck in the Boston area with finding anyone through my resources at Dana-Farber or through the Harvard systems, which, you know, gives me a little cause for pause. And I guess I'll put this out there because we're going to be putting this out there. If anyone knows of people who specialize in these sort of subtle modalities of like this feeling of being really different after treatment. Mm-hmm. I think we'd love to hear from you because this is something too that I tried to talk about in the support group that we met in and it's kind of I feel like people's eyes start to glaze over and it's a little bit too finite because we're just supposed to be grateful to be alive (laughs) yeah well and it's I think it's also hard for people who are going through it or have gone through it Um, not everyone wants to think about it like not everyone wants to deal with it they just want to like put it in a box and be like I'm done with it which I don't think is healthy but I think it's we're the minority in terms of like I want to think about how I've changed why I've changed why I'm making the decisions I'm making how it's affected my life and who I am and not everyone wants to do that and I think also we're in part of a growing wave of young women who get successful very targeted treatments and have the luxury of having these conversations right it's, it's one of those things, I mean, it is a sense of privilege, but I also do feel a sense of frustration a little bit being in this in this wave because I just don't feel like there's a lot of resources yet yeah. for us, which is one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast. Yeah. It is a weird lost feeling, and there's just, it feels like, mm-hmm. I guess the feeling like that we described, it feels, everything feels like a lot. Everything feels extra yeah. and a lot in a way that it used to not. Well, I can't cook for myself so usually before cancer i would make bone broth for like three days in the crock pot and then i'd do like french onion soup in the crock pot and so i'd make a soup that took five days to make and that was like par for course for me and now especially immediately after cancer treatment i would go to the store and like pick up two things and then get overwhelmed and put them down and walk out because like I couldn't buy things from the store. It was overwhelming, which is crazy. I, I so relate to this. I um, have always been a prolific reader mm-hmm. and writer, and um, I have spent countless hours in bookstores. I mean, and I have a lot of books and I read a lot of books and it's one of my favorite things to do. And it was sometime around last year, I walked into a bookstore Money was not an issue because I have a credit there. It's a used bookstore. It's one of my favorite used bookstores in downtown Boston. And I just went in there and what used to feel like a pleasure felt like a burden. I could not find a book I wanted to read. And I just, I literally, the whole thing became a meditation, not in looking for a book, but in like, oh my God, things have changed and I don't enjoy this anymore. Everything becomes a meditation on your anxiety. Or your change. Yeah. Change. Just, just change. And you know, we were talking about this earlier. I mean, it really is this exercise in trying to be very Zen because 
I do find that I am so much better if I stay in the moment and I don't compare myself to before. Oh, yeah. That is a death spiral. No, it, it is. You... So I got this from... I went on a weekend trip with some other young adults who had cancer. We went kayaking. And it was a great trip. And I shared a room with a girl who's younger than me, a woman, with brain cancer, mm. probably incurable and we talked a lot about and I feel bad even talking about this with her because I am probably not gonna die of this cancer in the next five years and she probably is right and so but we talked a lot about living in the moment because all you have is right this second that's all you have mm -hmm. and that's the only place where you can affect change and that's the only place that matters because it's all that exists which gets like a little a little a little philosophical but I've found it really helpful to ground myself in the moment I mean I've always you know I've read a lot of Zen and you know, it's the essence of Zen right mm -hmm. but it's this it's this um very it becomes very non-abstract in this experience yes. I would say because it actually becomes your medicine it's your lived experience. Yeah, because the past is gone. I mean, and that's where I feel like this is really like Kali, destroyer of worlds. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Shiva, destroyer of worlds. I mean, it's just, it's really intense, like how everything gets shaken up yeah, and taken away. I mean, look, it happens also, it happened to us when our lives were fully, somewhat formed yeah. too. Do you know what I mean? Like for some people, I think if this had happened to me when I was younger, it would have been easier in a way to recover from it because you're still changing and growing. But the fact that it happened when it happened was hard. I can't even imagine what it would be like to have this happen in your 50s, 60s, or 70s, too. Yeah. I mean, you sort of, in a way, abstractly, you'd say to yourself, oh, I would expect it more at that age. No, 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 that's the people around you who are expecting it more. No one ever thinks they're going to have yeah. something like this happen to them. And it just hits you. You're sh it's shocking. And it just shakes it all up. Well, and the other reason that cancer is hard is because you are so exhausted. Oh, God, so tired. You're you're fatigued physically. You can't sleep because one of the very common side effects of cancer is that you, after treatment or during treatment, you don't sleep. I sleep. Before this, I was like a champion sleeper. I could sleep 12 hours, no problem. Mm -hmm. And now four hours of sleep. I wake up multiple times in the night. I can't get my head to be quiet. Like it's a real struggle to sleep. So I have the exact opposite. And I know that your experience is really common for women going through yeah. cancer treatment. I've had epic sleeping because I've had issues of anemia through my treatment. Yeah. So I, there was a time last year where I joked I was baby Mimi. All I did was like sleep, shit, and eat, you know, through my anemia Baby treatment. Mimi is so cute. I literally, that's all I could do. I want to draw a picture of baby Mimi. No, you don't. It was not pretty. <laughs> it did not look very good on me. Oh, so, baby Mimi. No, no one wanted to cuddle. <laughs> Gonna, but I was sleeping about 18 hours. I was sleeping 18 hours a day like a cat because I was I was anemic. And then I, I don't know, I, when you go through, it was intense. So, and that, so that happened. And then also just in general, like, yeah, I'm sleeping. Is my hair funny? I'm sleeping a lot. <laughs> Your hair is amazing. I'm sleeping funny. Yeah, my hair is funny. That's another, we did an episode about that. So anyway, um, the, I've been sleeping a lot and that's a problem too. Like yeah. I'm just exhausted and, you know, and that's, 
that's been one of the shocking side effects for me. That's where I'm really glad that when I got back to work, I started out in a part-time role where I was really, you know, it was flexible, but mainly I was channeling my work into about three solid days of work a week, which my doctors recommended, and I think it was a really good recommendation for me with the exhaustion. But again, like, who's going to pay for you to do that? Like, this is the issue. I mean, and I have a lot of respect for you for pushing through it with your career. And, you know, I've looked back with some regret, like, should I have stopped? The answer is, like, there was no choice in the role I was in. There was just, it wasn't going to work. Well, and there is no, there is no should. You can't look back and say, I should have done this or I should have done that. Because I look back and I think I should have gotten a double mastectomy instead of just a single mastectomy. But at the same time, it didn't make sense at the time. And the recovery from a double mastectomy, like, you are helpless. And I wasn't at a place in my life where at work or at home where I can be helpless for, what, six months? No, you're not helpless for six months. You're helpless for more like, no, no, you're helpless for only a couple weeks. But, like, you have restrictions on how much you can lift it's not that bad actually it's you know but I can only speak for myself it wasn't that bad but like you know what the thing is it wasn't that bad for me Liana you could have gotten an infection and it would have been awful and you know what that happens so frequently well and you You never know you can't look back at what you should have done because you did you did the best you could with the information that you had correct and you you there's so many other factors at play to mm-hmm. and you know in everyone's case like I know your personal story and why your choice made more sense for you mm-hmm. and why my choice made more sense for me and I'm just gonna right. say it because we've talked about it before I know you're open about it I mean Leanne is interested in the possibility of nursing a baby which I really want for her I am 46 I am not going to have babies anymore I don't want any babies and therefore there's no need to keep the other breast which right. I elected to let go of um I had cancer in my right breast, not in my left breast, and I decided to get a bilateral mastectomy. I also have a father who's a surgeon who came over for, I guess, three weeks, I think, two and a half weeks, to help me with my unspeakable drains, and a mom who cooked meals for me during that time. So there was support. I guess my takeaway from all of this, and this kind of comes back to cancer's heart, is relying on having to rely on your own support system. Yeah, it's a really good reason for being starting to become a joiner and getting to know people and starting friendships before you get sick with cancer, especially if you don't live near or if you do not like your family or if your family doesn't have money. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. Like if your family, if you live in a studio apartment in Boston and they have to stay in a hotel or on your couch, this Mm -hmm. is a problem. It's really, really hard you have to very much rely on yourself and that dependency is very weird so i was excited i had just moved into a one bedroom from a studio the month before i got diagnosed thank god because at i mean i usually had one or two people staying with me and that was totally doable in my one bedroom one time i had three people staying with me and that was a nightmare that's a lot of people it was a lot of people it was my my dad and my stepmom and I requested, sorry, dad and stepmom, if you're listening to this, I requested that my brother be there, my stepbrother, because he, you know, when you're alone with your parents yes. and there's that weird dynamic and he broke that up. Yeah. And it's also, if you have three people, one person won't like go out and sightsee. 
But if you have four people, two people will go out and sightsee. Because it makes them so crazy. Right. So they were like out of my hair. So there was only one person at home at a time. And I was like, yes, you go out all day. You sightsee. Boston's a great place to go look around. We are lucky that there's a lot of things to see. My poor father became an expert in like the colonial history of Boston in our revolutionary times. Like he was driving out to Lexington just to keep himself together. It's so boring. I mean, that yeah, it's really boring. Oh my god. Can that be another thing that cancer is hard? Because chemo is so boring. Like waiting in hospital rooms, it's just so waiting for chemo. Just waiting. And like just it's just boring. And they have like a TV. Did you ever watch the TV? No. What are you gonna watch? Like a comedy? No. A drama? <laughs> a cartoon? Like I don't know what what television could make this better like game of thrones i don't i, I have don't to just know. this is a little off topic but when i got my um when i got my mri biopsy i had to get an mri biopsy which oh. is like you have to go in the tube and your breasts are in the thing and you're, you're like a cow yeah and you're in for a long time it's a, a long, long process time. so they said what kind of music did you do you want now i'd never had an mri at that point and i didn't know like, you probably shouldn't listen to what you would listen to in, like, the car when you're driving somewhere because happy. then you're going to have, like, uh, bad associations with it. Dude, I so should have chosen classical, <laughs> like Wagner or something, like, you know. But no, I said pop. So <laughs> I went through that. <laughs> so oh no shit. I was listening to Taylor Swift, Bad Blood, <laughs> and Ellie, whatever her name is, X's and O's. And all of this, like, horrifying, like, teen breakup music. And it was so, and I, I, you know, now those songs are forever imprinted. Like, Justin Bieber was in my MRI with me. Do not choose pop. So I said nothing because I recite poetry in my head. It's a very wise thing. When, But I was reciting, like, Sylvia Plath. That's right. Which is, like, not maybe the best choice for like happiness well it doesn't have a good ending with her okay it doesn't it doesn't have a good ending with her and after my mri guided biopsy i like it was like i was assaulted i had a blanket around me and i was like crying and i'm not a crier but it was so traumatizing it's um because you feel like a meat sack yeah it, there's a meat <laughs> there's a meat sack well the I mean, you are a meat sack. So another cancer's hard moment is all of the scans. Like, scans you've never... Have you ever drank radiation before? Well, if you got cancer, you will. Oh, my goodness. Wait. So many scans. And then, and then your uterus, or your not your uterus, it's your bladder that feels weird because it fills up with the radiation. It's just so strange, some of the things that you go through. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> There's a lot of laying still, especially if you get radiation, oh too. Oh, my God. And a lot of breathing. Yeah, a lot of, like people telling you what to do all the time and treating you like a meat sack because a lot of the cancer treatment is and it's good that the cancer treatment is like a what is that called a mechanized process yeah or, yeah, yeah like it's an a, institutionalized process yes. yeah and it's a good thing because then you know you have the experts and you get through it and you have a plan and you get done but at the same time you're so dehumanized in some ways because you're just a meat sack going through taking out the tumor you have to say your birthday and your last name all the time oh my god i used yeah. to like my birthday more than i do now 
I used to. I have a really cool birthday. It's lots of sevens. I mean, I did like saying. <laughs> I don't like it anymore. I did like saying house all the time. Yeah, I know. Hall. <laughs> hall. House sounds way better than hall. Yeah, house. it's true. House sounds strong. Especially in a Boston accent. Um, yeah, so these, you know, it is hard. I'm just, look, there's light at the other end of the tunnel. I want to end on a bit of an up note. Okay. Um, all right, so here's the deal. You're light and dark, but it does get better. It does get, I know it gets better because cancer used to be a lot harder. Yes. 20 now years I feel ago. like I'm dealing with life hard, not cancer hard. Yeah. I'm just talking about our, like ourselves. Like right. I feel like this is life hard, not cancer mm-hmm. hard. So this, and I'll take that. This is the first time I have been sick. I've had a bad cold for about a month. And it's the first time that I've been like normal people sick. Mm. And that's really exciting. Yeah, that's different. I went to the doctor for a cold. And that was amazing, although it was a new doctor, so she got out her, like, little half sheet of paper and was like, tell me about your medical oh, no. history. Like, honey. I'm like, you are going to need so much more paper. You need to scroll. <laughs> you need to scroll for my medical history. I've been told that I'm a good teller. I went into, like, the emergency room for something with my eye, and they were like, so tell us your medical history recently. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I still remember all those dates. All the medical terminology. That's yeah. helpful. So yes, it does it does get better. It's something that I think you have to acknowledge that cancer is hard as you're going through it because so many people don't want to face it and don't want to deal with it or think about it and put it in a box and put it up on the shelf and they're like, I'm done with that. And you're not done with that if you don't feel all the feelings and acknowledge the reality. Right. So dealing with it now, the fact that cancer is hard now, is a good thing because you're dealing with it. And you won't be dealing with it in 10 years. Yeah, I Hopefully. think it's important to sort of ingest the feelings, consume them, mm-hmm. and then let them pass through. Yes. Keep it keep it flowing. I think, I think the thing is, is just to honor the disconnect. You know, it's kind of like we do with social media. We were talking about this earlier. There's, there's, for most of us, there's a, some, some people manage it differently, but for most of us, we put on our happy face for social media, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the reality of our lives. And we all kind of know that and accept that. And I think it's important to do that with your, your tough time, your hard times with cancer. Like, yeah, it's really tough, but you know what? I'm going to put on a good face when I need to. And then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll also acknowledge when I get home at night and when I can let that mask come down, like, wow, it's really hard what I'm doing. It's, yeah. it's it's Everest here, but um, we got some oxygen. We're gonna be fine. <laughs> we've got we've got a good Sherpa. Right. Well, this is what I wanted to say too. It's really important to have a friend who you can talk to about this mm-hmm. because I can just tell you, after having gone through some rather dark days recently with lots of just personal just problems and stuff of life, I feel so much better just having talked about it, having had brunch with you, and then doing this podcasting with you. I feel a lot better now having talked it out and having a safe friend who understands my experience. So while I resist support groups by nature, I'm really glad I went to one and met my friend, Liana. (laughs) So I'm really grateful for having you in my life and doing this fun project with you. I agree. And it's way easier to have someone who you can have that shorthand with because I don't need to tell you, like, it's fucking weird to have numbness in my boob because you know. Yeah. (coughs) Up <coughs> oh, there's the cough. <coughs> Leanna's sick like a normal person. This I is actually cause for celebration. Yay! And her thong is sticking out of her jeans. She's a hot mess, people. 
Hot mess. You're a hot mess. I'm a hot mess like a normal person. She's, oh, my phone is sticking out of my dreams. That's it's the goal. So this tail. is the goal. The goal is to have normal person problems again. So I think we're succeeding. <laughs> I've got frozen pipes. You've got a hacking <laughs> Awesome. Oh, man, that's terrible. It's winter in Boston. Okay, I think that I think that means it's over. The goose cough means it's over. I think it's time to end before a girl loses her voice. All right, you guys. Thank okay. you so much for listening. And, and um, listen, send us your stories. And if you know a really good shrink who deals or shrinks who deal with like post-cancer mental <coughs> problems okay let us know yes and thanks Mimi alright thanks Leanna thanks cancer thanks cancer now it's not your mama's cancer or your daddy's true and you're gonna live so now what you gonna do with your new chemo curls in the neighborhood now you're the reason why it never looked so good oh thanks cancer thanks cancer thanks cancer victories in the dark <laughs>